I'm going to share with you this morning a little bit from the book of Ezra. We really should have Pastor Shirley up here, our Old Testament expert, but I'll watch for her nods as we go through this. Scott Sauls um, tells a familiar story in his newest book, Beautiful People Don't Just Happen. And he says, back in 2007, a famous violinist took his $3.5 million Stradivarius onto the platform of a Washington, D.C. subway and started playing free music. Dressed incognito in jeans, a t-shirt, and a ball cap, Joshua Bell, accustomed to playing for packed concert halls and world leaders and getting paid, get this, $1,000 per minute, brought his best in a 43-minute solo concert for a total of 1,097 passers-by. According to camera footage, only seven people stopped to listen. A few others gave money without stopping, totaling $32 and change. The remaining 1,090 people rushed by, barely noticing what was going on, and went on about their day. God's guiding us, his people, into a new season. And it begins with spiritual renewal in us as his children. And it's ever important that we don't miss the moment and miss hearing his calling to us. Over these next few weeks, we'll move from the Minor Prophets for a little bit and shift back to a few other books of the Old Testament, Ezra and Nehemiah. Their callings and work for God overlapped quite a bit, and we'll share some on how God used them in a period when all of life for them was upset. And for them, it was following decades, as you know, in exile in Babylon. And these two books were a lot about restoration. And though it's a brief shift away from the Minor Prophets, Ezra and Nehemiah very much connect to Haggai, which we heard some about in last week's message from Pastor Jeff. Ezra was a student and had a duty to himself to study the word of God as revealed in that he might hide it in his own heart. He was an interpreter with a duty to his own generation in teaching his fellow exiles what he had learned. In this way, he gave the people a sense of God's word. He was a copyist or also known as a scribe, was more common terminology in those days, which meant that this learned man had a duty to his own race in multiplying and preserving intact the word of God. He was an able administrator. He conducted the Jewish exiles back to Jerusalem in the second group that went in peace and state safety, and he established himself as their leader. Summarizing his life's and labors, we can say that Ezra was an Old Testament reformer. Scripture records him as a man of deep humility and self-denial a man of great learning and had a fervent zeal for God's word, a man of great trustworthiness, a man who knew how to pray. He was a man who was deeply grieved by the sins of people. These descriptions kind of humanize him, and we all know people like this. Are we people like this? When the time came for the Israelites to return to their homeland to rebuild the temple and to build that wall of protection around the temple, this was going to call for God's guiding hand and his direction to bring them to this place where this new season and their journey would begin. It was beyond them 
to do without God, just as it's beyond us to bring deep healing to our souls without the help of God, just as it's beyond us to bring the restoration to the church at large, the church of Jesus, without God's guiding hand. Three times in the seventh chapter of Ezra, we are reminded of these words. The gracious hand of God was on him. He attributed the needed changes and happenings that were going on in his time all to God. And the essence of Ezra's writing in this book is that when we depart from God, we lose our experience of him. But when we return to him, Tony Evans says, he will restore our fellowship to him. In those days, Ezra and Nehemiah were God's called ones, and they functioned very much like prophets, prophets of their day. But what was important was that they were in a posture where they could hear from God. They couldn't have been just like, well, let's get on with life. Let's get past this hard stuff. Let's forget about it. Do our best to get back to normal. God was calling them to something new and even hard. But Ezra was listening. Ezra 7.10 reminds us that Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and to teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. He was devoted to this. Ezra and Nehemiah lived prophetically the call of God to bring this new thing into the world, one with regard to the temple and one with regard to the rebuilding of the wall. Both were crucial in reestablishing their identity as the people of God. And as we focus some on Ezra this week, let's give attention to the ways God may perhaps be calling us to new places, to a place of restoration as individuals. Restoration to what? Each one of us has to fill in the blank on that. As we do so faithfully, collectively, we reestablish our identity as the people of God and as the church of Jesus Christ. Let's remember Ezra and Nehemiah were post-exilic people following their 70 years in Babylon, totally displaced. Their normal, as they knew it, was gone. We are post-pandemic people. Though only a few years plus with our worlds a bit upside down, we still experienced death, uncertainty, and less normal in every area of life than we ever have. John Eldridge says that the high tensions around the experience of global trauma, masks, quarantines, vaccines, school and church closures, and so on, were like nothing we have known in our lifetimes. There was grief, anxiety, isolation, and on and on. And we can't ignore the impact of all of this on our souls. We cannot push ourselves in our efforts to just move on to the point of no return. Eldridge shares a piece about camels as it relates to this matter in his new book, Resilient. I didn't know this about camels, maybe you do, but here goes. Camels have Achilles heels, but their vulnerability is hidden by their legendary resilience. These famous ships of the desert have been crossing dune seas since the time of Abraham. The stamina and strength of camels is truly impressive. They can carry heavy loads across leagues of burning desert sand, going without water for weeks 
while their human companions die of thirst. But the treacherous thing about camels is that they will walk a thousand miles with seemingly endless endurance, giving you little indication they're about to collapse. They do these thousands of paces and never seem to tire. Then suddenly, they just kneel and die. Eldridge goes on to remind us that our human souls hide in Achilles' heel too. He says, we have an astonishing capacity to rally in the face of calamity and duress. We rally and rally, and then one day we discover there is nothing left. Our soul simply says, I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. As we collapse into discouragement, depression, and blankness of soul. That was a pretty powerful summary. The losses, the fear, the isolation, these are hard things, and we need to find a plan for recovery. First, as his children, that restoration of our souls. Then, for our churches. We need new resilience as we face the challenges of 2022. Remember, we didn't walk into the pandemic after a long vacation. We rolled into it, steamrolled into it, unknowingly and already exhausted by the struggles and strains of this life. So as we continue to reflect on Ezra and Nehemiah over these next few weeks, let us pray as the psalmist did in Psalm 13, asking God to restore that sparkle to our eyes. Let's remember that for both Ezra and for us today, God has not been absent. He has not been caught by surprise. And God is doing something, even when we cannot see it. I firmly believe that he's calling us to something, something new, something different, perhaps something that will require boldness and a few courageous steps. If we lean into God, these hard times will strengthen us. And the truth is that churches, workplaces, families, any of them, they're only as strong as the people in them. So it's essential that we recover well in these days. Just as the captivity for the Israelites was not the end of the story, God is even now using a variety of means to bring us back to him, to call us to his full attention and be ready for what he's calling us to. Just as Pastor Jeff said last week, we can't get stuck on all the way things used to be, or I sure wish we could go back to whatever. As Haggai the prophet reminded us in his prophetic word, this is what the Lord Almighty says, in a little while I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and what is desired by all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory says the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord. Are we ready for that new thing that God wants to do? Over the last few months, your board and staff have been tasked with writing out questions that we all must ponder. What it is that God's calling us to discern. And one of the questions we landed on, there were many, but this was one of them. What is it that we're clinging to in our lives and even in our churches that might be holding us back? Sometimes it's as simple as just wanting things to go back to the way they used to be. Sometimes our view of God is just too small. We lose sight 
of the hugeness of God. But before we think in terms of the church, we need to fully surrender as individuals, maybe all over again, to the God we have committed our lives to. And this is a good season of reset, a reset time. The truth of Romans 12, 1 and 2 is the essence of that full surrender. These are familiar words from Paul to the Romans. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. As we recover from these last few years, we're pressed with some of these questions. Are there habits that need restoring to deepen us in our relationship with God and others? Are there personal relationships that need restoring? Are there things we must release in order to take some brave new steps God's calling us to? Or do we maybe just need to let go of some things, like stepping out onto that footbridge Pastor Jeff talked about a few weeks ago, that footbridge in faith, even though we don't know exactly what the outcome will be? What is it that you need God to do for you in these days? He's ready to come alongside you and bring that measure of healing or that dose of wisdom or that strength just to release yourself into his loving embrace. In these days, we need to surrender ourselves to God and we need to receive from him in these days. Stephen Machia challenges us in the book, The Discerning Life, which your leadership team is also reading through, to ask ourselves, how is it with your soul? Anybody ever ask you that question? I don't like those questions, especially if I'm unprepared. But truth be told, we kind of have to be prepared to answer that question, especially in these hard days. Surely this question, how is it with your soul, it includes our relationship with God. But as Machia says, it can also include these things. He encourages us to think on these aspects to kind of help us answer that question. I encourage you to ponder that question this week. What would you say if someone asked you, how is it with your soul? Our soul impacts our physical bodies. Is your soul exhausted, hurting? Impacts our relationships. Is your soul sad or feeling alienated? Emotionally, is your soul confused, frustrated? For missional service, does your soul feel empty of purpose? Our geography, could it be that your soul feels homeless or restless? Our economic status, would you say my soul is broke, lost, or in debt, or rich, heavily invested, or abundantly blessed? How would you answer that question? When we look honestly at the state of our soul, it brings us on that road to healing and restoration and transformation. And we know, as believers, that our walk with Jesus is one of constant transformation, always changing to become more like him. That never ends. 
He wants to bring wholeness to us that we might be active in the life and work of his kingdom for all of the days that he gives us. No retirement date on that one. And you know, we do not get to stand still in our journey with Jesus. There's no platforms we can hang out on. We're either going deeper with him or we're slowly drifting. Rarely does a person wake up one day and say, eh, I don't think I'm going to follow Jesus anymore. Rarely. But often, people drift a little bit here and a little bit there. And before long, they're in a whole different place, spiritually and theologically. And what they did not say with their words, they in essence said with their choices. It can happen to any one of us. And sometimes it just happens from our utter exhaustion and the troubles of this world or our families or workplaces. Remember the story of the camel. It seems all of a sudden, but in reality it was happening little by little over a long period of time. So the question we lean into this morning is, what is God calling us to that would call for this courage and boldness? Ezra and Nehemiah had to be so tuned in to what God was calling them to. Again, what are we clinging to that might be holding us back from the next best thing that God has for us in our personal lives and in the lives of our church? At this point, a lot of it may be unseen to us, but as Ezra and Nehemiah did, they gave intentional focus to what God might be saying. And Paul reminds us of this in 2 Corinthians when he says to not focus on what is seen but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. We are called to that eternal work of God. So much of what we give our energies and our time to, our resources, is so temporary in nature. And it may be one of the places God's calling us to shift. Will this matter in five years? I read somewhere this week, we are what we give our hours to. That was a challenging statement for me. God used Ezra and Nehemiah to reinstate the law, to repair the wall, to converge to create a restored worshiping community committed to life under the law in Jerusalem. How does he want to use you and I in these days? In a worship community of believers, there's no spectators. There's not pastors and worship leaders and church leaders and then those who sit in the seats. It's the same calling to all of us. Ezra brought the second of three groups of exiles back, and before doing so, he called the people to a time of prayer for God's anointing and a safe journey. Ezra knew he could not do any of this in his strength. But an important note we must make here, too, is that the total of those who returned in these three groups was about 50,000. But, something new to me, there was over a million people who stayed behind in Babylon and never came back. They got really comfortable there. Some did not want the effort or work to start over. Really important that not be said of us. God is not done. The story of his people and his church is not over even though these are such different and hard times. Today, we are God's people. We are his church. And he's calling us, as he called Ezra. 
Because Ezra was a scribe and a priest, he wasn't really able to carry out his duties during the exile. But what he did do was he utilized that time to get to know God and his holy word better. And the comment by one of the writers I studied from in preparation for this message has challenged me. And he said, can you or I say that we grew deeper in God during the pandemic? Can we say that we used the extra time that came about because there were so many things we couldn't do? Did we use that time to draw closer to God? We must remember that God wants all of us. He doesn't just want our 20 minutes in the morning or at night, though that practice has its place in our journey with God. As Stephen Machias says in this book, he says, we must practice a preference for God in every aspect of our lives. Let's pick one of those areas, prayer. We talk a lot about it. It's our first core value as Community Chapel, Church of Nazarene. But honestly, prayer groups, corporate times of prayer that we call people to, they remain the least attended times and spaces in our church. They just do. Bob LeMay is working now diligently to form some new prayer groups as we enter into this new season. Your church staff and board will be breaking up into groups over the summer months to pray for clarity from God on matters of the church and bringing the hope of the gospel to those around us. We'll be pleading with God to show us his will and his way. And it's important for us to remember, historically, any noteworthy movement of God that has ever taken place only happens after a serious, concerted effort of prayer. We must ask, are we giving serious efforts to pray together that we might witness this new movement of God? That may involve new places. It may involve healing to bodies, healing to relationships, families, prayer that brings clarity, or maybe even new places. We can live out our mission of bringing the hope of the gospel wherever we find ourselves. What are we missing as we remain sometimes less than prayerful people? In the book of Acts, we see they covered every aspect of living in prayer. The Western church is known to be anemic at best in their efforts to pray. Early on, the disciples said, we're going to disseminate different duties to different people so that we can devote ourselves to prayer in the ministry of the word. They prayed and laid hands on people with regularity. Peter went outside and knelt when Tabitha was sick and she was raised from the dead. She went, he went to the housetop every day at the sixth hour to pray. Prayer was a part of their everyday life, practicing a preference for God in their prayer life. We know factually from the Gospels, Jesus stayed connected to his Father through prayer. He prayed when he was alone. He prayed when he was with people. He prayed before eating, traveling, and making important decisions, like when he prayed all night before he selected his 12 disciples. He prayed before, during, and after healing people. As we know, this is through all the gospel stories. He prayed for his Father's will to be done and prayed for others to be forgiven. And as Christine Kane points out, he has not stopped praying. Hebrews 7.25 says he ever lives to make intercession for you and for me. As we stay connected to God through prayer, he'll guide us on this journey that lies ahead. When Ezra made the trek from Babylon to Jerusalem, it was not a simple endeavor. In ancient times, the best one could hope for was about 
10 miles a day, I think that's kind of a lot, but 10 miles a day in the desert with no travel on the Sabbath and perhaps other days. So the trip for them likely took four months to get there. It took real dedication to stick it out when it got hard. He had to be attentive to God's voice and remember what God was guiding him into. This was a big undertaking, but he was appointed by God. It wasn't just a migration of people. It was a spiritual journey of the faithful. Will we stick it out, this spiritual journey God's called us to, even when it feels like nothing's happening, when life is not as we expected it to be? Will we yield to God's guiding hand, as Ezra did? Over and over, Ezra emphasizes, it was not his strength or ingenuity that got him through. It was God's gracious guiding hand. God's word, the foundation of his people. Again, for Ezra had devoted himself over and over to the study of God's word, specifically during that period when they were in exile. If we don't really know God's word, we can't walk according to its instruction. Psalm 119 reminds us how happy are those whose way is blameless, who walk according to the Lord's instruction. Happy are those who keep his decrees. We can't do that if we don't know it. The writer of Proverbs reminds us, your heart must hold on to my words. Keep my commands and live. Get wisdom, get understanding. Don't forget or turn away from the words from my mouth. Guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. As we give this regular focused attention to his word again, we are practicing this preference for God in every area of life. And when we do that, he is faithful to call his word back to us when we're overwhelmed, when we're ready to give in to temptation. John Tyson reminds us that the remnant is the label used all through the library of scripture for that small group inside of Israel and later the church that was loyal to God when the majority of people were not what Barna calls resilient disciples. Again, Ezra. But now for a brief moment, the Lord our God has been gracious in leaving us a remnant and giving us a firm place in his sanctuary. And so our God gives light to our eyes and relief and a little relief in our bondage. Brothers and sisters, this is hard stuff. This is where we live. It's where the rubber meets the road in living out our faith. Will we be the ones or will we be the ones who drift like so many? Where are we focused? Let's not miss us. How does he want to restore us as his children in these days we are in the midst of? The pandemic was one stretch of a challenge, but chaos remind, remains all around us. Just watch the news once a day, and you'll see that. I believe that just as God was calling Ezra to lead the people back, God is speaking to us. His professing followers calling us to healing and calling us to lead people to him. It's time for that reset, first for us as his individual followers and then for his church. Are we ready? Going back to our story at the beginning, Scott Hall reminds us how easily we can miss beauty. Just like the almost 1,100 people who missed Joshua Bell's mini concert that day in the train station, we miss it even when it's right in front of us. Sometimes it's just that we choose to look the other way. We miss out on the best things because we prefer lesser things. We miss out on the wondrous things because we prefer the humdrum things. 
we miss out on the adventure because we prefer the safe, contained, controllable things. Gazing at beauty is its own reward, and looking away is its own punishment, he says. Friends, let's not miss it. God's calling us to this reset, and most of the time we're just clamoring for life to go back to normal, almost as if there is such a thing. Is there a normal? I don't know. The worship team is going to come as we hear these last few questions. What does it mean for us to be this remnant of Jesus today in 2022? Many think it's a political or religious effort at renewal, but Ezra leaves the question, how are you being in the world in a way that represents God's interests and works towards those interests? Ezra was God's ambassador. Makes me think of Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 5.20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. Ezra Nehemiah challenges me to ask, so how am I actually being that ambassador? Will I release myself to God to do his renewal, his new work in me? Would you pray with me? Father, we want to be people who are willing to surrender all, to give up everything to follow you. Would you help us to see, really see the most valuable things this world has to offer are worthless compared to the blessings you give to those who obey you. Open our ears to hear your voice and help us to obey. Breathe life into these dry bones, bring light to our eyes, and heal those worn-out places in our soul that we might live the life you have created us to. Help us in this reset and fix our eyes on you, O God, the author and perfecter of our faith. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.